Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome along to the final episode of, this, of Series 2 of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As always, joining me, Ian DL, a man more creative with an Excel spreadsheet than Mark Gower in his Underhill Prime. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Hello, everybody. And alongside him, a big man who's a nuisance, but you never quite know what you'll get from him. No, it's not former Barnet striker Tony Richards, it's Mr Craig Clayton. Good evening, everyone. And we're very excited to introduce our guest today, a coup for the show similar to that the club made 20 years ago, one of Barnett's most high-profile number nines ever. A decorated career in the top flight, one-time PFA Young Player of the Year, England recognition and a very much a familiar face on Sky Sports since hanging up his boots, best known in Barnet for a brief yet very eventful stint as player manager in 2000-2001. It's our pleasure to welcome Tony Cotty onto the podcast. Hi guys, how you doing? Yeah, excited for this one. Very excited for this one. Yeah. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be on with you, boys. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, thank you for joining us today, Tony. Really appreciate uh, your time uh, you've given us. Um, I think there's a lot of people, obviously, who want to know a bit more about what happened in those four months at Barnet in the 2000-2001 season. Um, and we'll explore that shortly. Um, obviously, we kind of have to acknowledge your career prior to that. You know, a bit of a legend with West Ham, Everton, Leicester City, you won the League Cup, um, and amongst a few other clubs as well. Um, I did want to quickly ask, though, perhaps an even stranger spell in your career prior to Barnet, um, which was playing for Selangor in Malaysia. Uh, what was that like? It was a nice holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was it was a bit bizarre, really, because, yeah, I mean, you've mentioned the clubs I played for and um, <laughs> I'm just laughing. Was it a beer that you just had a sip of there? Was it I'm, I'm <laughs> coffee being all professional? He's slurping his beer. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I started at West Ham, went to Everton, came back to West Ham. And, you know, my my dream was always really to to sort of see out my career at West Ham. And after a couple of seasons as top goal scorer, um, Harry Redknapp was the manager and uh, he, he sort of brought in a, a, quite a few European players and the, the club's finances were a bit all over the place. So uh, Harry decided he needed money from somewhere and I was sort of one of the few that he could actually cash in on and, and sell. And I ended up going to Malaysia um, main reason really was no one really sort of came in for me, which you know I found a bit bizarre because I'd been top scorer in the Premier League for two previous seasons, and there was no uh, Championship club or, or Premiership club or, or even the League One club that came in for me at the time. So I, yeah, I went to Malaysia. Listen, it was it was an experience um, from a cultural point of view, and yeah, you know, I joked about holidays, but it's a great starting place. We can go to Australia, etc., which I did. Um, the football was different, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> They, I mean, they'd only been professional for four years. And imagine the English league had been professional for 110 years at the time or whatever it was, and, and they'd been professional for four years. So uh, it was it was a real experience. And uh, I, I sort of enjoyed it. But, um, you know, towards the end of it, I, I'd had enough. I'd only been here for about eight months or so, and I'd, I'd had enough. My wife at the time, she was pregnant. She flew back home. So I ended up I had about six or seven weeks in Malaysia on my own, which... You know, it wasn't really the ideal thing for me. So it was the right thing to come back. And then I came back to Leicester. Uh, and as you said, I had you know, great success at Leicester, which was a bonus, bearing in mind I was in my 30s by that time. Well, I had a bit of a vested interest asking about Selangor because I've only just come back this year from living out there myself. Uh, they were my local team when I was living in Kuala Lumpur working as a teacher. And um, 
I went to one of their games and some bloke, a local behind me was just almost shouting in my face, Tony Gotti, Tony Gotti, Tony Gotti at me. Um, he didn't really get <laughs> it. He made an impression wherever I went then. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> um, and you're in their Hall of Fame in the Shah Alam Stadium. There's a picture oh, of you. Oh, really? There. Well, I'm um, in the stadium. I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me. I mean, it's an incredible stadium. It's like, yeah, yeah. like 80,000 all-seats. It's like a spaceship's landed. And, you know, the, I think the one thing about it that I found a bit strange is they... they, they they sort of watched the Malaysian football, but they, they, I felt there wasn't that interest in it. But, no, but in terms of the Premier League, it was, my God, the Premier League, and they loved the Premier League, and everyone supported everyone. And yet the local football, they just wasn't really interested. And I sort of found that a little bit hard to come to terms with, obviously, you know, having come from the Premier League. Yeah, no, no, I think when, when we went to, when me and my friends over there went to watch them, uh, you know, supporting the local team, they couldn't quite get their head around that either. I think the... Uh, yeah, the profile, it, wasn't, it was bigger in the 90s, I think, with the likes of you and others were over there as well. Um, but anyway, it, while you were out there, if I've done my research correctly, I believe you were playing under Steve Wicks, uh, former Chelsea defender, um, and then you brought him with you to Barnet as number two. Um, was that kind of bond formed when you were playing out there in Malaysia? Um, and how was it when you kind of got to Barnet and the roles reversed, if you like, that you were the main man giving the orders? Um, yeah, I think it was... I think it was fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was pleased when Steve came to Malaysia because the um, the, the, the man who signed me was a, a, an Australian guy. And even if I say his name, he's still Ken Warden, his name was. And you'll go, who? Never heard of him type of thing. And um, he signed me for a record fee to play in Malaysia. And when he signed me, he said, he said, uh, I'm pleased you're signing. He said, but I'm not going to be here next season. <laughs> it was like... It was like trying to get your head around a manager signing you and knowing full well he's not going to be there next season. So it was all a bit bizarre from the start. So from my point of view, it was I think I think the club felt that it was important to have a, an Englishman in charge to basically try and keep me happy, to to try and get me to score the goals that would ultimately win them trophies. Um, so when they brought Steve in, it, it was great. And, uh, you know, he came over there and he, it, Steve's a great lad and we had a lot of fun. And, you know, he was, he was definitely was my manager and what he said went and everything. And, uh, yeah, of course, when I became the, the, the Barnet manager, you know, the roles were reversed. But, you know, Steve was always a, a good foil. Well, you know, I like to think that, I, listen, since, since I left Barnet, have we kept in touch? Not particularly. I, I think I've only spoke to him a couple of times. But, you know, I think you have working relationships and you have personal relationships. You, you guys will be the same. You have people you, you know, if you never speak to them again at work, you won't bother about it. There's also people you do get on well with, but they're not necessarily friends in your personal life. And, you know, I think that's what it was with Steve. You know, professionally, we had a really good relationship, friends together. Um, but, you know, on a personal level, we're not really kept in touch. But at the time, it, it worked for me because I needed help. You know, I, I was chucked in at the deep end of Barnet and I needed help. If we talk a bit, when we get to that bit where you, you come to Barnet, I remember um, remember exactly where I was when I heard the news that Tony Cotty is going to join uh, Barnet as player manager. I was on my way home from school. It was about 13, 14. And a neighbour was walking the dog and, um, and mentioned that you joined. But it, what, what people now probably wouldn't realise, but when Barnet in the late 90s, 2000s, you didn't get lots of news that people heard about, about Barnet. It wasn't the internet the way there is now. It was quite a big deal to be a, an item on Sky Sports News as well. So that felt like an event in itself. And then I remember, um, so we had the Rochdale game, but I think the Blackpool one was the first one that you were really involved in. And that was the, that was the one that had the hype around it. And likewise, I remember uh, being at the Barnet Club shop. You were, you were kind of wheeled out a little bit in the club shop doing uh, signing stuff. And, and it was a big, big event. One of the things I wanted to ask you about that, um, 
just generally, forget Barnaby, generally an experience like that. You're a professional footballer, played at the top, top level. I guess for you, you're coming in and wanting to have a credible managerial coaching career. Was there ever an element of you, you, you felt like you were being wheeled out as a bit of a celebrity and, and, and that distracted or stopped you from being able to get on with being, you know, working and learning your trade as a manager? Or actually, when you come into something like that, is it all about bringing success however you have to do it? And that's just one of the, one of the bits of it. Uh, I think, um, listen, like, you know, I come in here with you guys. I, you know, whenever I do TV, whatever, I, I'm always myself. I'm always honest and I, you know, I won't sort of beat around the bush with things. Um, listen, when, when, I mean, I was at Norwich at the time. I've been at Leicester. I then went to Norwich and I was only at Norwich. I was like a player coach, but I, I was struggling with the travelling because I was living in Chigwell in Essex and I was commuting up to Norwich two hours there, two hours back and young children, etc. And it just wasn't really working for me. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, I got um, a call from my agent and uh, he said to me, he said that um, Barnet are interested in talking to you. So I said to him, now bearing in mind, obviously Norwich were in the championship at the time, I'll give you the equivalent, and, and Barnet were in the equivalent of League Two. And I said to him, I said, well, look, obviously Barnet are in League Two. You know, I, I, I know it's a London club, but I'm not really going to go there as a player. And he said, well, no, he said, I think there's a possibility you could go there as player manager. So it had always been a dream of mine, you know, from, right from when I was a, a youngster, I was always like, oh, I'll, I'll play and then I'll manage. I always felt that that was something I could do. Um, so it was on my tick list, if you like. Um, now, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But, you know, I, I, I drove down the motorway with my agent and I met up with uh, Tony Cleanfoss, who I, th I think he's still at the club, isn't he? Tony he is, he is there, yeah. He's still the owner or the chairman or whatever he is. Yeah, and, and, uh, and then at the time, John Steele had been manager. And um, so when I met the two of them, uh, it was very much a nice chat and everything. And, uh, you know, John had said that he needed a bit of time out. He didn't sort of want to be in the firing line as a manager. Um, and he was going to basically become the director of football. Tony was the, the owner and the, and the chairman. And um, so they, they said to me, so we want you to come and join Barney. And, and I said to them, I said, well, look, with the greatest respect, you know, I, I've proved and done everything I can as a player I don't need to come to Barnet as a player to prove myself you know what I'd like to do I'd like to come to the club and learn to be a manager and, and try and learn my trade um, and, and do what I can for the football club and uh, they sort of both looked at each other and the, the, really I should have read the warning signs I mean it was basically they sort of said to me well you can be whatever you want it wasn't uh, we want you to be our manager it was very much um whatever you want to be, you can be called whatever you want. So, you know, I thought it was a bit bizarre at the time. And I, as I say, you know, listen, player manager is, you know, listen, Wayne Rooney's doing it at the moment, but even he, he couldn't do it. You know, he's had to stop playing to get on with it. And it is very, very, very few players. Kenny Douglas is about the only one I can think of who's been successful as a player manager because it's such a hard thing to do. But being honest with you guys, I, I think that Barnett wanted Tony Cotty, the goal scorer, and Tony Cotty wanted to be the manager of Barnet. And I think there was always going to be a little bit of conflict. Whatever happened, there was always going to be that little bit of conflict because they saw me doing things that I knew I could do anyway, but I wasn't not, I wasn't not interested in it, but I, I, I didn't need to prove myself. I wanted to get involved in the managerial side of things. Um, so when I took over, I, I, you know, I, I, I asked for a few, but I asked um, Neil McDonald if he could help me. Neil, Neil's been many years with Big Sam, um, learning his trade. I played at Everton with him. He couldn't leave. I think, I don't know where he was at, I can't remember, Bolton at the time. 
I spoke to Steve Foley, who'd been a coach at Norwich. I, I couldn't get Steve. He was someone I'd love to have taken to Barnet. Uh, and then, of course, I then um, went to Steve Wicks to get Steve to help me. So Steve was a, a really good help. But I think right from the word go, there was always the shadow of John Steele lurking on my shoulder. And, you know, although he said he was going to be director of football, we never really went away too much. And rather than be a help, I, I found him more of a hindrance than a help, to be quite honest with you guys. We'll get into some of the uh, ins and outs of the on the pitch to start with. I think one thing that one thing that really interests interested me, and obviously this is a, a retrospective look back on Barnet Football Club and you know, the times that we had at Underhill. Ian spoke about your career earlier on, playing for West Ham, Everton, Leicester at the very top end of English football, and you've played at basically every stadium that there is to play at. So Underhill, when you walk into Underhill. Uh, give us a sense from your perspective of, of what that ground was like for you just walking in when it was empty and then maybe on a match day, what that experience was like for you compared to perhaps Old Trafford or, uh, or Highbury at the time. Well, the, the thing is, I played at Barnet. And my, my last ever goal, believe it or not, for West Ham was against Barnet in the League Cup. And we, we won 1-0 in that game. I scored with a header. Um, so it wasn't, you know, listen, I'm a football man. It wasn't as if, oh, oh well, where's Barnet? You know, I've never played there before. It was... It was I knew what I was getting into. I knew about the ground. I knew about the slope on the pitch. I knew that the facilities, you know, at least I've not been to the new ground, so I can't really comment, but I knew the facilities with the greatest respect to Underhill were basic. Um, but it didn't worry, that didn't worry me. It was, it was a case of going there to learn. And, you know, like right from the, the first week when I got there, you know, there was, we, had to, we trained at um, a local sports centre um, there was no real training facilities, training pictures, whatever. You went out and, you know, if you was unlucky, there was all dog muck everywhere and people pushing the prams and things like that. And you had to push it to one side. Sorry, we've got to train. And there was a little bit of AstroTurf, which is one of the places you could do it. But then there was always a time limit. Oh, we've got to get off because so-and-so coming on afterwards. And so there was all that going on. I mean, you had to you had to wash your own kit, which, listen, I was the manager, but I was still a player manager. So if the players can do it, why can't I do it? Which I did. I didn't have a problem with that. So it wasn't it wasn't like Tony Cotty, the ego, going into a football club. It was, it was, it was Tony Cotty, the experienced player, if you like, going into the dressing room. But, you know, where I was the manager as well, I think, I think very quickly I found it difficult to communicate with the players because... I was still in player mode. I think if you're in player mode, you, you, player mode, you you only worry about yourself. You only ever have to worry about yourself. You know, if you're playing well, if you're in the team, everything's happy. If you're not, it's not happy. But as a manager, you go in there, and even at Barnet at the time, there was probably 20, maybe up to 25, in, including the kids, you know, that you, you was in charge of and you had to look after it. So I, I, had, I had to learn very, very quickly and, you know, doing the talks with the players and you know, if you left someone out, someone comes moaning at you and all that, all of a sudden there's, and I'm still was only, I think I was only 35 years of age at the time, still very young and still in player mode. So, you know, that obviously immediately started causing a few problems and, you know, it, it just was what it was, but, you know, I had to learn quickly and, and you know, I'm certainly chucked in at the deep end. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we certainly, we certainly heard a few comments about the first field centre in Potter's Bar, so we'll put that down as another one of those. Uh, the what, sorry? The first field centre in Potter's Bar got another yeah, yeah. An, an, yeah. another another glowing review for those facilities there with the uh, the dog muck all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know what I mean. But listen, it, it was what it was. You know, I'm not complaining. It, yeah, it was it was League Two football, and you know, I knew what I was getting into. 
I was, I was going to ask, I know Ian, you're going to, you're going to ask about Blackpool in a sec, but if I could just ask quickly as well, I, I just wondered when you come into that, there's no, there's no, um, there's no guidebook handbook that says, here you are, you've just gone from playing, uh, you know, take the reins, you're now the manager. And, and, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about maybe, as you say, some of that shadow that was not quite gone. It wasn't quite the cleanest uh, entry into that job. I just wondered if there was, was there anyone that you'd played for elsewhere that at that moment you were calling up and going, look, I need, not to come in for help, but just a bit of advice or anything like that, that, that you know, shared a few words. Yeah, I did. I, I spoke to I spoke to the great John Lyle, who was my manager at West Ham, who'd almost become a bit of a recluse at the time. And I, I spoke to John and John said to me, he said, just, just be your own person. You know, go in there, be your own person, make your own decisions, which was something that I always struggled to do because there was always people pulling against me. Um, and I spoke to Martin O'Neill as well. Like He'd been my manager at Leicester. I'd only recently left Leicester and he'd only recently just left. And and uh, Martin just said to me, he said, get results. I said, well, yeah, what about this? What about that? He went, no, get results. And listen, it's, it's the most important thing in football. It was 20 years ago. It still is now. You know, if you get results, it, it buys you time to do what you want, establish yourself at the club and, and, and put you, all your ideas in principle. If you don't get the results then, of course, you then get into a bit of trouble. You know, I know it was a great start for me, but after a while, very quickly, we started getting poor results and then there was a lot of pressure on. Yeah, well, let's let's stay on that positive note for a moment before we talk about any other results, because obviously your Barnet debut has gone down in folklore. Uh, you know, it's unheard of for someone's first home game, a 7-0 win against Blackpool, who, um, you know, maybe at the time weren't at the peak of their powers, but, you know, that's, that's a side of real football history and pedigree and that's some result on paper, Barnet 7, Blackpool 0. Um, when I was doing a bit of research for the show, so I was looking at the programme notes from the week after, um, and I quite liked you, uh, you. You said to the fans, I can't promise 7-0 wins every week, so very wise to cover your tracks there. Um, but, you know, all jokes aside, we've, we've mentioned it already about, you know, your career prior to it and being no stranger to the media's eyes on you and whatever else. But at the time, there was a lot of focus, relatively speaking, on Barnet and on Underhill that day for the Blackpool game. You know, what, how's Tony Cotty going to fare at this level and everything else? Um, and the team produced something pretty amazing. Um, I just wanted, you know, what was that day like for you? Um, I think is it still the record scoring? I think it is, isn't it? For yeah, Barnet in the football league, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> so I mean, listen, as you said, I mean, I, I was sort of sitting in the stands for the first game at, at Rochdale. I think, it, I think it was a nil-nil draw. My memory's not as busy. It was, yeah. Um, so you know, going into that Blackpool game, and now bearing in mind at the end of that end of the season, Barnet got relegated, and I think Blackpool might have got promoted. So yeah, they was there was a decent team. Uh, Steve McMahon was the manager and um, yeah, it was just it was a very windy day I, mean, I, I remember it, it, it was it was always difficult for me as, as the manager at Barnet because there was a lot to do you know in if you manage in the Premier League or the Championship now you've got assistants coaches physios I don't know like sports scientists you know, you've got everything you want um, but for me I mean I you know I was at the ground I was at the ground early I was there about I don't know I must have been there about half past 11 or something you know you, you had to go and see the chairman and talk to him and explain what your team was and how the game was going to go and this was from every game from the Blackpool game onwards all throughout my, my Barnet time <laughs> um, you're then sort of preparing you're then thinking about what you're going to do with a warm up and what do you want Steve to do your team and what your team talk's going to be and then of course you then got to remember that you've got to go out and play and perform on the pitch as well so you're doing all this stuff um, you know the game itself was, was fantastic I think I scored after 20 odd minutes was, uh, you know it was, it was just a punt down the middle and I'd done a little scooper over the goalkeeper and then Darren Curry got a hat-trick and you know, we won 7-0 and you're coming after the game and 
you know, they're, they're the easy ones because you, 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 know, you don't have to say anything. Everyone's buzzing and, you, you know, they're probably thinking, wow, here we go. You know, we've got a great chance here of having a good season. Um, you know, you then have to go and do your, your press stuff and the media stuff, which you did. You then got to go and see the chairman who's absolutely ecstatic and you're talking to him. And so there, there was an awful lot. It was a very, very draining day. Um, and of course, that continued, the process continued throughout because I didn't have the, the people to help me out. You know, at times it felt like I was I was making tea for everyone. I was being the physio, I was, I was the media, media guy and I was just everything at the club. And, you know, I think that told on me a little bit. Um, you know, I still carried on scoring a few goals, but it, it was hard. But, you know, when the day itself, listen, for any uh, Barnet fan, not, not good for Blackpool, but any Barnet fan that was at the game, you know, you would remember that game as a special game. And, you know, and you would have quite rightly have thought, well, here we go, it's a great signing and off we go. And, you know, the, the club's going to have a good season. To be fair, you know, <clears throat> even though maybe results weren't what they might have been, I think you as a player for Barnet still must be up there. Certainly not the most prestigious, one, one of the best that's played for Barnet and certainly in my time of going as well. And one of the things um, I was quite interested in is we, we already touched a little bit on re- really, you were a premiership striker. Okay, you've been via the championship, but really a premiership striker coming to the club. You're trying to juggle this thing between being a manager and a player, which is tough anyway. We talked about that and I can recognise why that would be tough. But you're also having to acclimatise to a, a division a lot lower to, the, to one that you're used to. And it's not like some players who kind of glide their way down through the divisions. It's a, it's a big jump. I remember we spoke to Greg Hill, who's one of the players that played under yeah. you there. Really lovely bloke, really lovely guy. Um, and he, and he, he, you know, he made the point that the, the, the difference in quality and class between you coming into that dressing room where, you know, versus what we had, no disrespect to those players, was a big one. How, how did you find it, having to be a player amongst maybe players that weren't the same calibre that you used to play amongst? Um, I, I suppose from a... A managing coaching point of view, it, 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 it was a little bit frustrating at times. You know, you put on a, a shooting session, as an example, and then you, you, you're trying to tell the players how to make their runs and where to, what to do with their runs, which is which is all well and good. And, you know, sometimes you can even get through to the players. And on a Thursday morning, you put the practice on and you, you say to the player, well, why don't you do this, make this run? You know, you, you tell them what to do and they do it in training. And then, of course, it comes to a Saturday and they do the complete opposite of what you've told them. And, you know, that could be a little bit frustrating for me. Um, you know, I think one of the, the most difficult things for me, I think, was, and I probably wasn't aware of this as much as I should have been, that before I arrived at the football club, John Steele's style of play yeah. was to hoof the ball forward as, as long as possible as quick as possible. And I, that was the one thing I didn't know that. And of course, when I've arrived at the football club, you know, listen, I, I'm not stupid. I know, I don't, I know football's changing. You probably maybe could do it now, but in those days, 20 years ago, you had to mix things up. You, you couldn't play total football to get out of league two, but I also felt that playing the old Wimbledon style was smashing it down the pitch. That was, that was the complete, uh, you know, opposite of what I grew up with, especially as a West Ham boy, where it's pass and move, one-twos, etc. So, um, you know, I, I I knew very quickly that there was there was issues in the first week of training. And I remember, I, I don't even think Steve Wicks would have been there at the time. I don't think he was. And uh, John Steele, he was, he was there every morning. And I, you know, when I got to the club, I thought to myself, John Steele, right, good non-league manager, you know, done really well at Barney and worked with players, been a manager for 20 years. Now, me being me, I'm thinking, you know, 
he, he can't tell me how to play football, but he can tell me how to manage. He can help me to manage. I'm going to have problems, issues. I can bounce things off of John. This is what I'm thinking when I go into the football club. So anyway, the, the, probably about the first week of training, and, and John said to me, he said, uh, he said, can I put a session on? So I said, yeah, of course you can, John. That's, that's fine. It's not a problem. So um, he put this session on, and it basically was an 11-a-side game, and John was sort of telling the players what to do. And uh, anyway, the ball went out for a throw-in, and um, I can't remember who it was. The, I can't, really can't remember the name, but the right back picked the ball up, and he took a short throw, and uh, he's thrown it sideways, like, like square, if you like. And uh, anyway, the ball was given away. And John's stop, 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 like that. So this is John still up. When you get the ball, you throw it down the line. So I said, I went, well, John, hold on a sec. I said, there's no one there. He said, don't care. Throw it down the line as far as you can to anyone. Right <laughs> now, from my point of view, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Right? And I'm now thinking, like, I've now got involved with a long ball specialist who all he wants to do is to get it forward and that. And I'm trying to get players like Darren Curry involved. I had John Doolin here, who I've been with uh, yeah. Everton footballer you know there were some good players in the, in, in around the club uh, you know I bought Mark Gowering he was a you know he was a really good footballer but um, you know trying to get them to play the football and all the time I know that I've got John Steele and the thing as well is a lot of the players had, had been with John a long time so if there was an issue or a problem instead of coming to me they was going to John Steele and I didn't know this obviously it was all going on behind my back so it, there was a lot of things in the melting pot at the football club. And that all started from pretty much from week one. By the time Wixie got there to help me out, you know, yeah, it was still going on. John stepped aside a little bit. But then, of course, he's he sort of looking in. Oh, we, in my days, we used to do this and we used to do that and everything. And, yeah, it just caused, I think it caused indecision with the players. Because I think the players ended up on the football field. They didn't know whether they was coming or going. You know, because I'm saying let's play football. John, they're, they're going to see John Steele. John saying, "Well, just get the ball forward then," and that obviously caused problems. You know, in in terms of me and and you know my career and what I could do and what I couldn't do, I didn't think that was a problem. I think it, I thought if anything, you know, I can go on the training field, and if they see me trying to do something, they will try and respond to it, and try and emulate what I was doing. So, you know, it wasn't you know it wasn't the old Glen Oddle in England training where you push them to one side, let me show you what to do. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was. It, it was just, you know, I'll try and lead by example and I'll try and be your manager. But, you know, I think sometimes you can't always be friends with the players and that was the difficulty. You're, you're, being, you're a friend on the pitch because you're the player manager, but then when you're the manager, you're trying to say you're, you're dropped, at which point they're raging quite rightly. And, uh, it, you know, it made it really, really difficult. But there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, the, the fans, you guys, I know, you, I know you, you're younger guys, but there's a lot, there was a lot going on that the fans didn't see. Did you, did you ever have a moment... And I completely understand if you wouldn't want to answer the question, but do you have a moment where, politely or otherwise, you would have had a word with John Steele or Tony Cleandros and said, look, this isn't going to work unless you give me room to, to do it my way and do it properly? Well, that didn't come pretty much till the end. And, um, you know, the basically what happened, the story that what happened, like we'd had this really poor run of results. You know, I mean, I joined, I think it was in the November and... That was all right over Christmas, New Year. And then we got into the new year. We had, you know, we, we got knocked out in the second round of the cup at Walsall. And I, I missed a bloody sitter in the last minute, which was unlike me. But I think a lot of it was down to the stress and all what I was going through. I scored a good goal, but I should have scored a second. And then if we'd have beaten Walsall, we'd have played West Ham in the next round. So you can imagine how, how pleased I was when Walsall drew West Ham. 
Um, but anyway, you know, we just had a, a little run of bad results. And um, so um, I hope I'm not skipping out any of your questions. We can always go backwards. But basically towards the end, you know, what happened was I had a phone call from John Steele and um, he, he said, oh, can I come around and see you? I had a day off, I think. And um, everyone had a day off, not just me. But um, he came round to my house in Chigwell and he, he walked through the door. And as he came through, he went, oh, is that your England caps? Oh, I'll show you your medals and all that rubbish. And I went, John, I said, look, you ain't come around to see my England caps and my medals. I said, get to the point. What you come around for? And he said to me, he said, well, look, um, we think, as in him and Tony Clampford, we think that we need to make a positive change at the football club. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, we think that you need to go back to being a player. So I said, right, OK. I said, who's going to be the manager then? He said, I am. And I went, well, John, I said, look, that's not going to happen. I said, like, I've come here to learn to be a manager. If I'm having a difficult, bad time, you need to support me. I said, what does the chairman think? He went, he agrees with me. I went, well, if he agrees with you, then we're going to have a massive problem. I said, let's go and see the chairman. So we did. We... Um, we drove around to Wembley and my agent came along and um, we sat down and, and I said to Tony, I said, look, because another problem as well, Tony had been ill. So he, he almost was out of contact. I couldn't call him. And what I didn't realise, so John still said to me, me I'm, I'm trusting Mr. Honestly, John said, any problems? He said, just let me know and I'll talk to the chairman. So, of course, with the problems, I'm telling John Steele and the problems aren't getting to the chairman. And probably vice versa, the chairman tells John and John wasn't telling me. So, you know, he, John still was looking after number one. There's no doubt about that. And when I sat down with the chairman, I said, look, you know, what's the score? I said, like, I'm not going to go back to just being a player and let John Steele take over as manager. There was 10 games left or whatever it was. And he went, well, I think that's the best thing to do. I said, well, I can tell you now, if that's what you think is the best thing to do, then I'm not going to be a part of what's going on. Because it, it came back to the point of what I said at the start, where all they wanted was Tony Cotty, the goal scorer. And, you know, I was the top goal scorer at the time. So they, they not only was going to lose their manager, they was going to lose their top goal scorer as well. But they was both adamant that, you know, that was how it was going to be. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'm, I'm out, I'm gone. And that was it. So anyway, so I, saw, I basically resigned. I weren't worried about money or payoffs or anything like that. It was irrelevant. And uh, the, the chairman said to me, you'll like this story. He said, he said to me, he said, uh, he said, before you go, he said, there's a, there's a um, what's it, um, football, table football thing, like upstairs. Can you play me at table football? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> bizarre. And I went, well, yeah, of course I can. We went upstairs. So you had a red team and a blue team, right? So I'm thinking, well, like, obviously I'd like to be in West Ham. I couldn't, but I'm thinking blue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Everton and Leicester. And he was an <laughs> Arsenal fan anyway, so... Anyway, I had to beat him, which I did. So I beat him at table football, <laughs> shook hands with him, and I was gone. And that was it. It was a really bizarre, surreal day, what went on. And, and that was it pretty much summed up what I was dealing with and, and what was going on at the time. And as I say, like, you know, the, the shame for the club and the fans was they, they lost their top goal scorer. And, you know, what they, they should have come up with a way of compromising or whatever. And, you know, we was talking about a new training ground for the, for the following season. There was a new ground on the horizon, which they're obviously now at. So there was a lot of positives going on, but you know, when it basically, from my point of view, when it when it when it got to times of trouble, they couldn't wait to sort of get rid of me and you know ask me to become a player, which is I think going back to the original conversation when I met them, I think that's what they always wanted. They always wanted Tony Cotty the player, they didn't want Tony Cotty the manager. Yeah, and maybe that's what contributed to some of the things on the pitch, because I think some of the things you spoke about there. Now, we've been fortunate to talk enough, fortunate enough to talk to some of the players from that squad, and you know they're very much 
John Steele players doing John Steele things, it felt. And I think that's probably a little bit about what you described yeah. there. Uh, what was your relationship with like, like with some of those players? You know, did you did you feel like on a personal level that you you were um, you worked well with them and, and that the, there could have been something there if if perhaps that presence wasn't behind it all the time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I got on well with the players. Um, I, I don't really know what the players thought of me. Um, I, I think uh, someone like Ben Strebens has gone on to become a manager now, hasn't he? Darren Curry was certainly a manager. Um, so they've gone on and perhaps found out for themselves how sort of like how hard it is. Um, you know, I, I got on well with the boys. Um, it was always difficult because I was the boss and I was playing, um, you know, but I, I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to ask the players what what they felt about what I tried to do. You know, did I maybe I tried to change things too quickly? As I, as I say, talking with hindsight, you know, did I did I try and make them play too much football? You know, was I did I not get the balance right? Listen, I'm, I'm it's, I haven't come on here to blame John Steele and Tony Clamforce and only you know they've got to take their share of the responsibility. I think the only issue and problem I have is that whenever people talk about that season, they blame me for Barnett getting relegated. And listen, I, I put my hands up and say, I was a big part of that. Of course I was. I was manager for four or five months. Um, but I also did my best. I scored the goals and, you know, I, I, I sort of contributed and the record score and everything else that went on, you know. So I, I don't think it's fair to totally blame me. You know, I think others should should take responsibility, but they've never done that. You know, they've always, oh, well, you know, it was, when I left, John John still went to the papers and said, oh, Tony Cottage fought his ways didn't work, which, you know, like it was just, that was nonsense. There was so much more to it than, than what went on. But, um, you know, the, boy, the boys were good as gold. You know, what I asked them to do, they've done their training. It, you know, they, I didn't have a problem. Yeah, of course, you have disagreements with players when you leave them out of the team, but that's, that's just normal. But there was no real issues, I don't think, with any of the players, but you'd have to ask them. No, no, I think I think that correlates with, you know, we've had loads of guests on from that team, Lee Harrison, Danny Naysbitt, Greg Heald, Strevens, Curry, and all have spoke very positively about their interactions with you and everything else. I think a lot of what we've covered there about things in training and, and maybe some of them being very much John Still square pegs and John Still square holes were, you know, being used to a certain way. Some of them attributed maybe the results to this more expansive style that they weren't used to and, and you know, rightly or wrongly. Um but yeah, no, I think that that kind of matches up with a lot of the things we've had from from the players there. Um, you know, you've covered there the way that it did come to an end. It's really interesting to hear that. I think well, a lot of these things you mentioned that the other side maybe not taking or not call it side, but you know, the others involved rather maybe not taking much responsibility or not much coming out from it. I think it's always it's still twenty years on a bit of a mystery what exactly happened. So it's great for you to give us a bit of an insight today into that. Um, obviously. We left in the March. We still had quite a long way to go. I think we were still about 10 points from uh, the drop at that point. Actually, I was looking at the table from that time of the season earlier. Um, where So, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't like we were dead and buried dead. A lot happened in the time that followed as well. You went on to uh, sign for Millwall on transfer deadline day later that, that month in, in March. Uh, became one of the few players who have played in all four leagues in a season, which is a great stat. Um, I wonder, obviously, your focus then is playing for Millwall and seeing out the last bit of your career, as it turned out to be. But, um, you know, did you have one eye on Barnett's results in the run-in the end of the season? And if you think back to then, maybe I'm sure maybe you, you know, you've had time of hindsight, uh, what were your feelings when they actually did get relegated at the end of the season? Was there a little bit of a bitter taste from the way it all ended? <laughs> yeah, there was. I mean, you know, I, I, I had mixed feelings. Again, being totally blunt and honest with you guys, you know, I had mixed feelings because... You know, when I left, um, John Steele did take back over the club and there was, what, 10 games or whatever there was left. And, you know, he had this, 
uh, vision of being the knight in shining armour and, oh, John Steele's going to save the football club and all that stuff. And that was what he thought was going to happen. And, of course, he took over and the club got relegated. So, um, with regards to John Steele, I was absolutely delighted that Barnet got relegated. <laughs> uh, I'm talking purely about John, you know, yeah, yeah. how he was with me and what he did. Um, from the football club's point of view and from the supporters' point of view, of course, I was disappointed and, and, and upset because... You know, the, the fans were really, really good to me. They were never anything other than good to me. You know, every now and again, I get a Barnet fan come up to me and, oh, you've got us relegated and things like that, which is, I understand why they say it, but not everyone understands and knows all exactly what went on. Um, and in terms of the football club, you know, it was a disaster because they worked so hard to get into the league. They had the new training ground, the new ground coming, etc. And it, it obviously put the club back, a, you know, a few years. So I was disappointed from that point of view. But... You know, the, you know, I'll come back to my point that I made, that not enough was done to keep me at football club. You know, they, they, they could have done more, they should have done more. And, it, you know, even if you don't want me as the manager, you know, just keep the player. And, and they, they never, they, they create a situation where it was impossible for me to stay and you lose your top goal scorer. And all right, I'll, you know, I might only have scored another three, four, five goals that season, but that would have been enough. You know, I'd have ended up with 15 goals and, you get a player scoring 15 goals, you're going to stay in whatever league you're in. So, you know, there wasn't enough fault going into the process. I think I think the the chairman, owner, Tony, was, uh, I don't know, bamboozled by what John Steele used to say, you know. And, you know, and I don't want to criticise John too much. He's had a very successful career as a manager and, he's, you know, it, it is what it is. But in terms of my time at Barnet, I, I, I think, you know, I've never really spoken to him about it. I don't really want to speak to him about it. There was... Uh, there was one game, I think it was at Dagenham and Redbridge, and they was playing Barney at the time, I think. And um, it, uh, no, actually, John might have been. Uh, did he go back to Dagenham as manager? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, he must have been manager at Dagenham, and he sort of came along the touchline. And to his horror, he saw that I was covering the game for Sky. And I went, All right, John. And he just turned his back and walked away from me. And I went, it just about sums you up, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, you know, things come around. But, you know, in answer to your question, I, I don't. The, only from John's point of view do I take pride in the fact that the club went down. Every other, because I know what relegation means to a football club and the, the good people, there was a lot of good people working behind the scenes at the football club. Frankly as well, you know, we said it before, I know, but, but 10 games or whatever there was before, we only hit the bottom at the penultimate game of the season, and ironically away at Blackpool. Um, and frankly, the squad that was there, I mean, we mentioned, well, you mentioned Mark Gower. It was a, a brilliant addition to that squad. I think maybe other than Scott McLeish, who I think went out on loan, um, we pretty much had the squad that John had, had left you with uh, in the first place. So it's not like he picked up a group of new players and had to do do some sort of magic in the last 10 games. Like I don't know uh, John still personally. I didn't particularly enjoy his style of football as a, as a manager. I think um, it, it's a, some people talk about results and whatever else, but it's, it's, it's bloody awful when the results stop. Um, and I think he had a bit more success with that elsewhere after. Um, I can understand why the answer to this question might be no, but I wondered if there was anything you did enjoy during the time that you were at the club. Anything I didn't enjoy, did you say? You did, you did. No, you did. You did enjoy, sorry. I did enjoy. Oh, no, I don't. Yeah, listen, I hope I haven't come across as someone that was there for five months and didn't enjoy it. No, I did enjoy it. I had some great times and some good fun, and it was a really good learning experience, you know, but the, the disappointment of it all is like, um, you know, with the greatest respect, I went to Barnet, you know, and in, in, yeah, we all have dreams and you know, 
you know I'm a West Ham man. So in my in my mind, in my dreams, I'm, I'm coming to Barnet. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be there for two, three, four years. I'm going to develop them, get them into League One. And then hopefully West Ham come calling and I get my dream job. That was always the plan. So, you know, the, the experience itself, it, it left a bit of taste in, in, in uh, my mind. Uh, I think without a doubt, it, it scrambled my mind because, um, you know, you mentioned, I, I mean, I went to Millwall as a player, but I was injured. Um, I only played two substitute appearances, but I, I couldn't, as a player, I couldn't perform anymore. Um, I, it, I, at the time, you didn't have to have passed your coaching badges. So I'd enrolled to go on a coaching course at the end of that particular season when I was the Barnet manager and I'd applied for it all and everything going through the PFA. And then when I got onto the coaching course, which was at the end of May, I, I, it was a two-week course and i only done one week of the course. And in the end, I, I, I packed up and I walked away from the course because mentally I was so scrambled. You know, I'd had a long career. Um, I, I, I would say I was physically and mentally shattered and all what went on at Barnet, although there was some good things in answer to your question, there was also a lot that went on that mentally scrambled me. And by the time I got to the coaching course, you know, I put a session on once and I was meant to stop it and start it and do this and do that. And I just stood there and I was just, I was glazed. I was, there was nothing there. I was there, but I wasn't there. And, you know, I needed time out, recover and have a new focus and a new direction in life, which is hence why I went into Sky 19 years ago. And I'm, you know, I'm pleased to say I'm still on Sky now. But, um, you know, that was the end of my managerial dream. So, it, you know, it, it wasn't the dream job I, I envisaged it would be. Um, but yeah, now I look back and it was, there were some good times. There's some funny times and, you know, you, you have ups and downs in any job and anything you do in life, you have ups and downs and you've got to enjoy the good times and you've got to accept the bad times. Yeah. In the end, as you just said there, you did turn your hand to punditry and you've certainly been a regular face on our screens for the best part of two decades on Sky Sports News, Soccer Saturday and all the rest of it. And you mentioned there are a couple of times where you've, you've come back to Barnet either at away game or home game. Um, as a pundit, um, some of the comments that maybe sometimes you receive from, from supporters, do you feel like sometimes there's a little bit of an unreasonable response on the basis of some of the things we've spoken about today and on the basis of the reality of the situation that you've described? Well, I think right at the start of this interview, I think you boys touched on the fact that, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have the social media and everything that you, you have now. And I, I think, you know, when when managers sort of get either leave a club or get sacked or whatever it might be, you tend to get a lot more information coming out of a football club, you know, and you sort of understand the reasoning behind it. He's lost a dressing room or whatever it might be. There's all that sort of stuff that's readily available for the fans. Um, unfortunately, from my point of view, you know, when I left the club back in 2001, there was only a few channels. There was probably the local paper. Uh, and then you had dear old John Steele saying that Tony's ways didn't work. You know, he wasn't the right appointment, blah, 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 which is what the fans would have read. So, you know, I, I didn't want to get into a slanging match with fans and newspapers and TV, etc. So I just walked away. I kept my head down. I did a book in about, about was it about seven or eight years ago? I'd done a book. And in that book, I think I covered the Barnet episode. But, you know, it, it was only what I'm telling you guys now on the interview. But, you know, when, when I worked as a pundit, you, you know, like you've got a lot of the fans here. And in their eyes, I was the main culprit for Barnet getting relegated and I was one of the culprits as I've already said and I've got no problem at all you know admitting that um, but I wasn't the only culprit I think that's where you where you get a little bit of the hunt with things but do you know what I've played in front of you know 50 60,000 fans all singing stupid songs to me so like you know 
with the greatest respect, going to Underhill when you've got 1,500 people singing a song with you, it wasn't really ever going to put me off and, <laughs> you know, just worry me too much. I don't mean that horribly, but you know what I'm saying? I've, you've heard it all before and you, you just, it's part of the job. If you're in the public eye, you, you've got to accept that if you do a, a, a high-profile job, which it was for League Two, I was a high-profile high profile person you lead to and if it doesn't work out you've got to accept you're going to get a bit of stick and you know as I say no problems with that but you know people have to realise hopefully that people watch this interview and they think well do you know what it, it wasn't just about him there was other people involved as well yeah well I would say I think that you know that's entirely reasonable Tony we're taking loads of your time we think we really all of us really appreciate it and and not not just for the, the chance to chat about it but I think it's been one of those topics that that has gone a bit missing over the 20 odd years and I think I think Everything you said is probably right. I think there probably only was one news channel with one message. That was the message from, from the club, whether it be John or Tony or both or, or whatever. And I think it's very easy to point the finger at a guy who comes in and, and, and you know, some results don't go quite the, the right way for a bit of time and disappears rather than maybe look at the bigger picture and the fuller thing. So for me, at least, as someone that lived and breathed at the time and was very emotionally attached, it's really nice to talk about it and maybe you know, think about it from a different perspective as well. Um, and yeah, and also just for the excitement of having Tony Cotty uh, at Barnet Football Club was was such a big moment, and still still something we, we talk about now. We you know we, we did a one of these shows talking about the, you know the best eleven to play for Barnet, and you can't do that without a mention of Tony Cotty. So it's you know it's it's still exciting for us. I think did um, Edgar Davies get in it? Did he? No, we don't. We, we, we don't mention Edgar. We, uh... <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Good company there. Well, uh, look, yeah, as Craig said there, thank you for your time this afternoon, Tony. Uh, really brilliant to speak to you. Uh, we look forward to seeing our screens in the new year on Sky Sports News and whatever else on Soccer Saturday. And uh, wish you all the best in all your future endeavours. Cheers, boys. Listen, it's been really nice to talk to you. And, and I, I honestly, genuinely, I look back with, you know, I'm proud to say I played for Barney. You know, I'm not one of these, oh, well, I'll play for Barney. I don't feel that way. I'm proud to say I played for Barney Football Club and I wish the club well uh, every success in the future. Now, I really, really do. And it's, it's nice to just have a chat and, you know, talk about, um, you know, the um, lower league football really rather than it's all, everything's about the Premier League and the Championship. It's nice to talk to you boys and just reminisce a little bit and just have a, have a catch up about you know, the old times. And, the, and there, were, there were some good times as well. You know, I think it's important to stress that, you know, yes, the club got relegated. I'm deeply sorry about that. But, you know, there were some good times in there as well. And, uh, you know, when they, when, they, uh, when they beat that 7-0 record and that, you give me a shout and then we'll do another one and we can have a little laugh. <laughs> But at the moment, no one's beating it, so it's still <laughs> I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Yeah, go, 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 go get back in the football league first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got, got a living hope, but I, I genuinely wish everyone well and uh, good luck to Barney in the future. I'll take Robinson on. Most people would say I was mad. Oh, Brian, I can't it. Lovely stuff from Curry, not a bad try, and that's a terrific.